once arrested Christians, now arrested by Christ. Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truths of true conversion. The illumination here of Saul caused him to recognize he was in the presence of his God. He responds, what shall I do, Lord? Right there, he's born again. The immediate repentance of Saul occurred. He will be told all things appointed for him to do. Submitting his life to Jesus. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When the unlikeliest of persons decides to follow Christ, this simple truth from 2 Corinthians 5.17 provides the explanation for what has happened within the heart of the believer. And that's just what Paul wanted to do to the angry crowd of Jews who wished to see him killed, thinking that he had profaned the temple by sneaking a Gentile into an area restricted for Jews only. Let's listen now as Pastor Xavier draws out three important simple truths for us in sharing our faith. Paul, having left the Ephesian elders, now returns to Jerusalem with the financial gift to the poor saints, only to be accused by some Jews from Asia that he had brought Gentiles into the temple and it nearly resulted in the taking of his life. The news reached the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, and he immediately took soldiers and centurions so that when the Jews saw them approaching, they ceased from beating Paul. Paul was put in chains, questioned what was going on, what he had done, but the mob was so violent and the crowd was so confusing that the commander could not make heads or tails of it, couldn't get to the truth of the matter. So Paul being bound, they reached the Antonius Fortress steps and then they actually had to rescue Paul, carrying him all the way up. And as they're carrying Paul up, he um, asked permission to speak to the commander. The commander thought he was an Egyptian who had um, raised insurrection, having 4,000 assassins with him in the wilderness there. But Paul, speaking to him in Greek, surprised him. And he told him that he was a Jew from Tarsus and asked him permission to speak. So Paul the Apostle, in chapter 21, is hooked to 22 because they both go together. Paul, having license to speak to them, stood on the stairs and motioned with his hands to the people, and there was a great silence as he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. Paul's life dream had come to pass. He had always wanted an opportunity to preach to the Jews, believing that he could convince them regarding his conversion. You see, about 20 years earlier, the Lord told Paul when he came to those 15 days in Jerusalem in Acts 9, 26-30, that they would not receive his witness and to go to the Gentiles. But Paul always had this in his heart. And there are many times when God will tell us, don't do that. Don't go there. We've seen it through the book of Acts. And Messiah says, don't preach here. Don't preach there. But we can be so strong-headed that we really don't believe God. Paul loved the Jews to such an extent that he was willing to be forsaken by God, Romans 9, 3. He was willing to be a curse for the Jews, an incredible, incredible passion that Paul had. And so what we have here in verse 1 through 29 
we want to look at Paul's defense before the Jewish mob, which consists of three movements. Let me read for us here. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you. And when they had heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, and brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of his father's law, and was zealous towards God as you are today. I persecuted the church, or the way, uh, to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, and also the high priest bearing me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there from Jerusalem to be punished. Now, it happened as I journeyed and came near to Damascus at about noon, suddenly the great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. And so I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews dwelt there, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that time, in the same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will, to see the just one, and to hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, it happened when I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple, that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. And so I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I am prison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And they listened to him until this word. And when they raised their voice and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. And then, as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And they bound him, with thongs, and Paul said to the centurion who stood by him, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. And then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. And the commander answered, With a large sum I obtained um, this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. And then immediately those who were about him to examine him withdrew from him and the commander was also afraid after he found that he was a Roman and because he had bound him Paul's defense before the Jewish mob here 
consists of three movements. The first one is found in verse 1 through 5, the recollection of his life before Christ. He's going to attempt to identify with these Jews, right where they're at. Secondly, we have the revelation of his life encounter with Christ, verse 6 to 21. And then we have the rejection of his life desire in Christ, verse 22 to 29. The recollection of his life before Christ. Here's the identification, the foundation. He's a Jew. He knows how they feel. Men refers to the proselytes present. Brethren to the Jews. Fathers to the elders and teachers. And the word defense, apologia, we get our word apology from, but it doesn't mean I'm sorry. It means to make a defense, to give an explanation why it is that you believe. He's going to lay out his faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The language, notice, is Hebrew. When they heard this man speak in Hebrew, they became silent. The Hebrew dialect, as you know, was spoken only by the cultured Greeks. This is the dialect of Aramaic. And um, the Hebrew language had become lost during the Babylonian captivity. That is one of the reasons why they had the Septuagint translation, the uh, Hebrew scriptures into the Greek, around 200 or so. And um, the Aramaic really was spoken by only few and those who were cultured in the, in the upper circles. Now, in most recent time. Since the rebirth of Israel in 1948, the Hebrew language also was sort of a dead language. They have revived it as a nation has come together again in our most recent days. So we have a good parallel there. Now, look at verse 3. The credentials of Paul were of the highest. He's talking to this crowd. Here it is, his opportunity. He gets his chance. He's been waiting years for this. He says he was a Jew by birth. We also get that whole pedigree in Philippians chapter 3. He was born in the city of Tarsus, Cilicia, where he, one of the greatest universities of, uh, in the city there, of the ancient world. He was educated to feed Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the head or the president of the council of the Sanhedrin after his father's death, Rabban uh, Simeon. And he was the son of Hillel, one of the great rabbis. Remember when they asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? There were two schools of thought, Hillel and Shemaiah. Hillel, he said any cause. Shemaiah was a strict, only adultery. Gamaliel was his grandson. Now, you remember that Gamaliel stepped in for the apostles in Acts 5.34 when they arrested them. He called them aside to the Hebrew council and said, listen, listen, if this is of God... You're going to end up fighting against God. If it's a man, let it go. It'll dissipate. And God used this man. The very phrase brought up means to nourish and to nurse. Paul the Apostle came to Jerusalem at a young age, and there he was schooled at the field of Gamaliel, the top teacher. Now, he goes on to tell him, I'm a Pharisee. So he's identifying with them. I'm a Pharisee, the strictest of the sect. Again, once again, this developed after the Babylonian captivity during the intertestamental period. Most likely from the beginning of the captivity, but that's where it developed. The original intent was to protect the law because they had gone to captivity because they broke the law. So they began to make all these interpretations about 600 other laws to protect the law. So you start building a fence around the thing that is holy, the law. But pretty soon you realize that the fence is guarding this, so therefore the fence must be holier than this. And so you start worshiping all those things that contradict the law. That's what happened to the Jew. It happens the same to Christians. They become pharisaical, hypocritical, 
we must be careful. The term Pharisee is synonymous with hypocrisy. Jesus used it always. Now, he also says he was zealous towards God, and he says, as they that very day. They knew his pedigree. We have it in Philippians chapter 3, 4 through 8. Hebrew of Hebrews, a tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day. Long line of Pharisees, blameless, passing his contemporaries. Incredible. Paul considered all those things as a pile of manure, rubbish, compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In verse 4 and 5, notice the conduct of Paul against Christians was also uncompromising. And so to this point, they're listening. They're, they're eating this stuff up. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Paul is feeling pretty good at this point, I guarantee you. He persecuted the way to the death as, as Stephen. The term on the way, you know, is the term for Christians. That's what they were called at first. They weren't called Christians until Antioch. That was the first place in Acts 11.26. He bound, delivered them, he says, for incarceration, both men and women. So he, he, he didn't care who you were. The man was, was just passionate, striving against the Christian faith. At this point, again, the Jews, they're, they're civil. They're, they're liking what they're hearing. He pointed out that the high priest also, the council and the elders, they could be witness for him as to his zeal, the letters they gave to him to bring back those in Damascus in chains and to be punished, in chains and punished. He was ruthless. It is amazing how many things can be done in the name of God when you're religious. Never confuse relationship with Jesus Christ with being religious. Uh, many people feel that they're religious, they do things that are religious, but they separate their religion from their practical life. In fact, many of their evil deeds are permitted by their religion. That's what makes Christianity so different. In fact, Paul made havoc of the church, we're told in Acts 9, 1 and 2. The true story of the mutiny on the bounty has often been retold. One part that deserves retelling was the transformation Wrought by one book. Nine mutineers and six native men and 12 native Tahitian women put ashore on Pitcairn Island in 1790. One sailor soon began distilling alcohol. The little colony was plunged into debauchery and vice. Ten years later, only one white man survived, surrounded by native women and half-breed children. In an old chest from the bounty, the sailor one day found a Bible. He began to read it and then to teach it to the others. The result was that his own life, ultimately, the lives of all those in the colony were changed. Discovered in 1808 by the U.S. S. Topas, Pitcairn had no jail, no whiskey, no crime, no laziness. No psychologist, no sociologist. Hmm. The word of God is so powerful if you will give yourself to it. But there's the key. God will give to each of us many opportunities to share our conversion story with people. Those we grew up with, our friends, those who we have gone to school with, those who we work with, and especially those of our family. 
And we're to be able to articulate our faith clearly. There should never be any doubt about your conversion, not to what happened and that it did happen, and that you can articulate that with simplicity and by the power of God's Spirit. Listen to the words of the people who the woman of Samaria went back and told that Jesus had saved her. John 4, 43. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. That's where the title of Savior of the world was given to Jesus, in Samaria, not in Jerusalem. As you and I are allowed to share through our journey in life, it is the Spirit of God that will make that alive to people, not what we can identify with. We have to be real careful. It is the power of God's Holy Spirit and His Word. And they will become born again. God will use your common ground to share your faith, be it your education, your party life in the world, or whatever you were into, be it your involvement in athletics, be it in the field that you work in today. It's all part of God's plan. He will use that. In fact, in Ephesians 2.10, he says that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. As I look at my 34 years in Christ and I look back and see all that God has used me and how he's just intervened in my life, I'm in awe. But I wonder how much I've missed. You understand? (laughs) He has so many things for us. God will use your past attitude and actions against Christ to magnify the change in your life. How you were very religious, perhaps, but hated Christians. There are religions that declare to know God, but their mandate is to kill people who don't believe like them. The Christian is willing to lay his life down for the one that hates him or the one that persecutes him. You understand? That's what makes us different. How you were an atheist, perhaps, and you harassed Christians whenever you had that opportunity. How you believed in the goodness of man as potential apart from God. Viewing Christians as weak and and irresponsible to the things of life. And yet, when they see your life, they can't deny what they see. They knew you. You're communicating to them. You were there when it happened. Paul the Apostle sharing his... um, conversion story with Agrippa and it's, it's, it, we have it in 9 and 22 and 26 three times Luke takes all this room to give it to us repeated it because it's so important it amplifies it supplements it just gives us a, a great picture of it and Paul the Apostle there in Acts 26 11 said and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them I persecuted them even to foreign cities I mean, he has these Jews right now. They're, I mean, it's, you can hear a pin drop. Just previously already kill him. Does stop, man. They just, they're going to get him. The recollection of his life before Christ was Christian persecution. They were willing to listen to this. Then he moved into the revelation of his encounter with Christ, verse 6 through 21. 6 through 11, the appearance of Jesus was a life-changing event in Paul's life as he journeyed to Damascus, he tells him. In verse 6, the encounter there was spectacular, being a divine appearance. The persecutor 
of Christians was near the city of Damascus, as he tells us, and it was noontime. He tells Agrippa in Acts 26, 13 that it was brighter than the sun, so it wasn't just his imagination, it wasn't the sun, this was a divine appearance. This is nothing new. We have it throughout the Old Testament, um, theophanies, appearances of God in the Old Testament, especially in the image of light often. It's found in the Old Testament in the burning bush. Uh, you have the pillar of fire to direct and guide the children of Israel through the wilderness. You have the Shekinah glory in the tabernacle in the temple, and it's also promised in the return of Jesus Christ a second time. It's glory. Paul's experience is recounted in other places, as I said, giving emphasis to the extraordinary brightness to make sure that there's no mistake at either account who it was that encountered him. You may have many different experiences through life, but when Jesus Christ encounters you, it will stand apart and unique from all others, I guarantee you. God has said to dwell in light, it's unapproachable, who no man can see or has seen, 1 Timothy 6.16. He is of pure eyes and to behold evil with condolence or permission, Habakkuk 1.13 tells us, and no man can see him and live. He told that to Moses in Exodus 33.20. Jesus divested himself of his glory and took on the form of a servant. He veiled himself with a human body. We are so sinful that our very presence before God would consume us because he's so holy. That's why there must be a transformation of my body that I have present to my glorified body to be before Jesus. Do you understand? <laughs> Look at verse 7 and 9. The response of Paul was different from the others uh, that were with him. In verse 7, this was due to the personal encounter by Jesus. It's very personal. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice with understanding. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in verse 8, the response of Saul was in fearful reverence. Please understand that. Saul asked, who are you, Lord? Kurios. He understood. He recognized that he was before a superior here, far different than he ever had been. Jesus reveals himself as Jesus of Nazareth, whom he was persecuting. He nails him. This identifies Jesus as the Nazarene who walked the shores of Galilee, the God-man who was crucified, who rose from the dead, the Messiah of Israel. Wow. Saul was actually persecuting Jesus and persecuting the church. I feel sorry for people who are adamant against Christians, uh, politicians, educators. They don't realize the damage they're bringing to their own life and the ultimate judgment that will fall upon them. That you reject God is one thing, but when you encourage others and make it your life career to make others like you, your judgment will be very, very severe before God. Make no mistake of that. Look at verse 10. The immediate repentance of Saul occurred, submitting his life to Jesus. Now he's got him. They're quiet. They're listening. He's, he's, he's taking them to where he wants to point Jesus to them. The illumination here of Saul caused him to recognize he was in the presence of his God and Messiah. He responds, what should I do, Lord? He understood right away. Right there, he's born again. 
And with the conversion of the Apostle Paul, Pastor Xavier Reese is illustrating the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and is available to all who receive it, forgiving even a persecutor such as Paul. Now, there's much more to this study to come next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy of this message, and the title you'll want to ask for is Paul's Shattered Dream. It's available on CD for just $4, and this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. So once again, the title to ask for is Paul's Shattered Dream, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing... Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Next time, Pastor Xavier Reese explains the simple truth in doing God's will is first to know God's will. Hope you'll be back for that. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com